Father, we thank you uh, that we are here today and we get to open up the word of God. And Lord, I thank you that uh, Jesse, Pastor Jesse and Jim are back and, and Virtus from their trip from Peru. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for this morning of worship. And now we get to hear your word. So I pray that you would touch our hearts with it, stir our hearts with the gospel of Christ, Lord, in a deeper way than ever before. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So here in the book of Romans, Paul, at the end of his third missionary journey, we have discussed that uh, as you read in Acts chapter 20, he's in Corinth. And during that time in Corinth, he takes pen in hand. He begins to write this epistle, this letter to the believers that are in Rome. And Paul, as we have discussed, he did not plant the church at Rome. He did not start the church in Rome. Matter of fact, at this time that he's writing this letter, he had never been to Rome. But he knew some of the Christians that were there. And we read that he greets them, many of them, in the last chapter of this epistle. He knew them personally, but many of the Christians that were in Rome, he had never met, yet he had a heart for them. And we know that, as we read last week, that he was thankful for them, as we read in verse 8. He writes, I thank my God uh, through Jesus Christ for you all. So he was very thankful for the church. He was thankful of hearing of their faith that was known throughout the world. And also, he would pray for them, making requests. And then thirdly, he longed to see them. Let's read that in verse 11 of Romans chapter 1. For I long to see you, the apostle writes, that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged, to, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. So Paul did have a, a heart for the believers in Rome. We know that Priscilla and Aquila were there in Rome at this time because he greets them at the end of the epistle. That couple, uh, their names may ring a bell with you, as you know that they were ones that co-labored with Paul in ministry and were no doubt very dear to Paul. There was others there that labored with Paul and suffered with him. But Paul also longed to meet and see the believers that he did not know. He, he wanted to minister to them. He wanted to bless them, be with them. He wanted uh, them to be encouraged in Christ together. And as we read verse 13 now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you, also just as among the other Gentiles. So Paul's desire is that he would go to Rome. He was eager to visit them. Paul, when he wrote that letter to the Thessalonica church in First Thessalonians, he would express to them in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians that he wanted to see them. He had just planted the church when he wrote that letter to them on a second missionary journey. Once again, he's in Corinth. He's writing to them. I want to see you. He was only there in, in Thessalonica, what the book of Acts tells us, for three Sabbaths. And he leaves. He's concerned for them. He says, I want to see you, but he was hindered. And what is interesting, in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, he says, that I was hindered because Satan hindered us. So at times he was hindered 
from doing what was on his heart because of Satan. Other times it was because perhaps of, uh, of sickness. Other times he was hindered as it was at this time because of the work of the Lord. And what we have discovered is that it was Paul's plan that as Acts chapter 19 tells us that he would go to Greece, which he did. He would take up a collection, those churches that he planted on his second missionary journey. And he's in Corinth and he's going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to, uh, to give that gift, that, that offering that he collected to the saints there in Jerusalem who were going through difficult times. They were going through persecution. And then his desire was to go to Rome and to Spain. And as we discovered and discussed last week, that he did end up going to Rome about three years after he writes this letter to them. He went as a prisoner of Rome, even though Paul didn't see himself as a prisoner of Rome. He would write in the prison epistles that, that as he's writing from Rome under house arrest, he writes to the church of Philippi and to the, the church at Ephesus that I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. My chains are in Christ. This is the will of God in my life. This is for the furtherance of the gospel. Some of the palace guard are getting saved. And so he was still ministering in Rome, even though he was under house arrest. He knew it was the will of God. And as he had planned to go to Rome, he's hindered at this time uh, to go. He, he longs to see them. He wanted to minister to them that they may have fruit that abounds, just as fruit had abounded to the churches of Galatia and then as he went to Greece and then also proconsular Asia, he also felt, as we continue reading, indebted to them to give the gospel, verse 14. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise, so as much as in me I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. So Paul says, I want to share with you because uh, I'm a debtor to you. I'm a debtor to everyone, Paul is essentially saying in verse 14 that we read. To Greeks and barbarians. Now that was not a derogatory term back then. It was a term that uh, in those days to uh, refer to non-Greeks. The Greeks, they considered themselves to be scholars, were steeped in philosophy, were uh, you know, wise, and everybody else was considered to be unwise. Paul says, I'm obligated to all men. He wanted to tell as many people as he could of the gospel. I'm ready to preach the gospel who are in Rome. And that, of course, is the theme of this book, the book of Romans, the gospel of Christ. Matter of fact, uh, it's the theme that is found here in the next two verses as we read verses 16 and 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. I'm ready to go to Rome, he writes. I'm ready to preach the gospel, the good news. I am eager. I'm a debtor. I'm not ashamed of this gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was a message that Rome needed to hear. Rome, of course, was the capital of the mighty Roman Empire. <clears throat> An empire at that time that encompassed most of the known world. It was very, very powerful. No one dared could come against Rome. And no one dared to challenge Rome. 
against Rome's mighty military. There were uprisings. There were rebellions, of course, but then Rome would stomp it out very quickly. When Daniel, the prophet of the Old Testament, he describes Rome 700 years, you know, before this time here. And in Daniel chapter 7, as Daniel is describing those world empires that would come on the scene from the time of Daniel, who's in Babylon, to the second coming of Jesus Christ, he describes Babylon. Babylon is an eagle, and the Medo-Persian empire, and, and that's a bear, and the Grecian empire is a leper. But then he saw a fourth empire. And it troubled him greatly when he saw that beast. He doesn't even say what kind of beast it was. He simply says that that beast that represented Rome was exceedingly dreadful with teeth of iron, had nails of bronze. He was told that, that Rome, this beast, is going to devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. You know from your high school history lessons, for 200 years there was what was called the Pax Romana. That's Latin for Roman peace. From the time of about 27 BC to 180 AD, that there was peace as throughout the Roman Empire. Again, there were pockets of resistance. We know that the Jews rebelled in 66 AD, but there was no other empire that would dare come against Rome. And it was a peace that they would brag about, that they, they would have their their, their goddess, pagan god Janus, and that was their god of, of, of war, and the temple doors to Janus were closed for those 200 years. They, they would claim that they didn't need to open the doors to let Janus out. So they claimed peace, but it was a false peace, and it was a forced peace. Rome had its mighty military, which would trample anyone if they dare rebelled against Rome. They were brutal. They were very cruel. Rome was the place where the mighty generals would parade proudly on the back of stallions. And if they did go to war and crush any rebellion and they, they conquered those people, many of them were killed, the rest were taken away as slaves, captives, and they would be put in chains. They would be stripped naked and they would be paraded through Rome behind those generals, humiliated. That's what happened to 100,000 Jews when Jerusalem was crushed in 70 A.D. The Jews began to rebel in 66 A.D. and finally... In 70 AD, Titus and the Roman legions came in and surrounded Jerusalem, and they broke through the walls of Jerusalem, and they leveled Jerusalem, the city. It was Jesus that said that the time's going to come, this temple, this magnificent temple that you guys are looking at, that they marveled at, the huge stones, not one stone's going to be left upon another. The Romans came in and Titus, and they just ripped the temple apart, these huge stones. Matter of fact, you come to Israel with us, we'll show you some of those stones that were pushed over the edge of the Temple Mount down in the Terrapin Valley. It's fascinating to see. Josephus, the Jewish historian, writes 1.1 million Jews were killed at that time. 100,000 taken captive and, and paraded through Rome. And you got the, the dome of Titus that shows that they're in Rome. The emperors were called Caesars. They were considered gods, and they were to be worshipped. Rome was the entertainment capital of the world, and the morality of Rome at this time was very, very sick with widespread sin and carnality of every kind. And Rome at this time was the place that Caesar Nero was ruling. He was a great persecutor of the Christians. 
He would go insane. He would burn the city of Rome down while he played his fiddle. And then he blamed the Christians. And so they burned the Christians. He had them burnt at the stakes and fed to lions. And, and it, it would take tremendous courage for Paul, who ended up being executed by the orders of Caesar Nero at this time, to have a desire to walk into the epicenter of this empire that was so powerful, but morally and spiritually, it was sick and it was dark. And he says, I am ready to preach the gospel to you in Rome. I'm ready to preach the good news to you. Now, what exactly is the gospel? Because I think most of us know, but sometimes the gospel gets a little muddled um, when we talk about the gospel. And I think a good definition for you, you can write in your margins, of, of the gospels written to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'll read it to you, is Paul's talking about the resurrection, but he starts out that chapter by saying that, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So Paul says, here's the gospel. Here's the good news that I preached to you, that which you were saved, that which you stand by, that it is Jesus Christ who came and died for sinful humanity. He died for our sins according to the scriptures, a physical death. He was buried and he rose again after the third day according to the scriptures. And as Paul writes in the beginning of this letter that his resurrection proves that he's the son of God. It validates that he died for our sins uh, on Calvary's cross as he conquered sin and death. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And now as we come in faith and believe in him, as he said, just as you have, that we are saved by that. We are forgiving. We have the hope of heaven. So the gospel, as Paul was eager to bring it to Rome, first of all, that he was one that proclaimed it. And as we talk about the gospel, you can write down in your notes that the gospel is to be proclaimed. It was the central message of his ministry. When Paul came into Corinth, he said, When I came to you, I came in much fear and trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of, of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit. And I was determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Listen, the world needs good news. People need to hear the gospel. And the gospel is available to everyone, whether a child, whether a scholar, someone on their deathbed. It is a message of hope, the only hope for any man or any woman, that we are sinners in need of forgiveness, to repent and to surrender to the Son of God who loved us so much that he came and died on that cross for our sins, to make atonement for our sins. And he was put into a grave and he rose again. And it is believed that the trend that many churches we see today is that many churches are not giving the gospel. There are many that perhaps are proclaiming a social gospel, they say. That is, we've got to fight for so social you know, justice and we've got to you know, organize and we've got to march and we've got to be politically active and all of this. But that's not the gospel. There are many churches that will proclaim a prosperity gospel. 
that God wants you to be healthy and wealthy and rich, but that's not the gospel. Oftentimes, churches really focus on the principles of practical living, how to stay healthy, how to have a good marriage, how to you know, raise your kids, how to manage your money. All of that is good. It's found in truth concerning you know, how it is that we live as Christians as we study God's word uh, and the practical living of a Christian because God tells us how to live in every area of our lives, but people are not given the opportunity to respond to the gospel in a lot of cases. I cannot be the husband. I cannot be the father. I cannot be the man of God that he's called me to do unless I have surrendered my life to him and depend on him. The trend today is that more and more pastors and ministers behind the pulpit don't want to address sin. They don't want to address repentance. And we cannot give the gospel if we don't give the bad news that every one of us have sinned. And the good news is there is repentance towards God. It's a wonderful word, repentance. It means that we simply change direction and there is hope as we turn to him. And Jesus died for our sins. That's why he came and died on the cross. There's more of a trend for pastors to say, make a decision for Jesus without really telling them why they need to make a decision for Jesus. Just receive forgiveness. You know, just, just receive that God loves you. Make a decision. Identify with Christ. Words like this. Listen, if we don't give the message to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we're not really given the gospel. There were sinners in need of forgiveness. He is our salvation. There is no other salvation. But Jesus loves us. And to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. Sometimes people will ask me, Pastor Jeff, why do you give an invitation at the end of your teaching for people to receive the gospel, come to the gospel? Because I don't want anyone to think that they're saved because they came to a Bible study. And I don't want to assume that everyone that comes through the doors is saved. We've had those who sat here for weeks, for months, and then they responded to the gospel. They came to that point, they listened, and, and the Lord ministered to their hearts, and then they made a decision for Jesus Christ. The central message of the scriptures is the gospel. And the apostle says, I'm ready to go to Rome to proclaim it, to preach it. And verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The Lord has chosen us to declare the good news to a dying and lost world. And I pray and hope that you're not ashamed of the gospel. When you have opportunity to give to others, when they say, what's different about you? Aren't you religious? Or what's your deal being a Christian that we can tell them? When people are struggling, when they need hope, that we don't say, I don't want to give them the gospel. They're going to think I'm a Jesus freak, you know, and they're going to not like me and, and all of this. 2 Kings chapter 7. Samaria in Israel was being sieged by the enemy, the Syrians. And the people in Samaria were dying. They were starving because no food was able to get into the city. Well, one night the Syrians, while they were in their camps, they were eating their dinner, and all of a sudden they heard this frightening sound around the camp, so much so that they were so terrified that they just dropped their food, left all their stuff, and they took off running back to Syria as fast as they could. At the time that is going on, there were four lepers outside of the city of Samaria. They're starving. Uh, they decided, well, we might as well surrender to the Syrians because we can't even get into the city. 
Uh, there's no food there anyway. Uh, we can't go there because we're lepers. We're about ready to starve to death. Let's just surrender to the Syrians. If they kill us, no big deal. We're going to die anyway. But maybe they'll take us as prisoners and they'll feed us. What do we got to lose? So those four lepers, they go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they got there, they couldn't believe what they saw. The camp was completely empty. The coal still hot from the fires. The food still simmering. Everything was left. And it says that those four lepers went from pot to pot eating. They went from tent to tent taking all the stuff. And then finally they said to one another, as you read in 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 9, that they said, hey, this is a day of good news and we remain silent? How can we remain silent? So they go to the city of Samaria and they say, good news. The Syrians have left. No more captivity. You're now free. And how can we be ashamed of the good news, the gospel? Because there are people all around us that are being held captive by sin, in bondage to the world. that are spiritually dead. And you and I, we are alive now we've been forgiven we have an eternal inheritance and, and we are alive spiritually born again by the spirit of God how can we not give that good news to others and we keep it to ourselves don't be ashamed of the gospel it is to be proclaimed secondly the gospel has power we read again in verse 16 for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes the gospel does not talk about the power of God. It is the power of God. Rome boasted in its power. The Caesars thought they had all the power, uh, you know, and before the Roman Empire, there was the Grecian Empire. They ruled the world. And they had all their philosophies and scholars and sophistication, but all the power of Rome and all the power of Greece could not provide forgiveness for one sin, could not provide salvation, could not provide right relationship with God. People today can really pursue power. That's their goal. They can boast in their powerful position or use their wealth or fame and promises to try to have power some sort in this world. The gospel is the most powerful work of God. When we got saved, gave ourselves to the gospel, a miracle took place. A miracle took place. We were born again. The gospel makes dead men alive. And some people think that the gospel makes good people better or bad people good. It gives us a new birth, even as Ephesians chapter 2 declares to us that we were dead in trespasses. We were spiritually dead because of sin. It separated us from God. There is a sin problem. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, has made us alive together with Jesus Christ, who came and died for our sins, that you might spend eternity with him and be alive spiritually. Nicodemus was told in John chapter 3 that if you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. The gospel, you know, delivers us from the penalty of sin and from the power of sin. It gives us a new heart. The gospel gives hope to the hopeless, changes the unchangeable. It is good news that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for our sins and was buried and rose again after three days. And he sits at the right hand of the Father. He is alive and he lives in our hearts and those of us who believe in the gospel, that we are saved and we are changed. 
Don't ever think that the gospel can't change a person's life and give them a new heart. Sometimes we can think that person is so far gone. They're so far out of it. They're so dark. They're so messed up. I'm not going to bother giving them the gospel. Give them the gospel. The gospel has the power for salvation. And if you or anyone really want a true and lasting change in your life, come to the gospel. Not only for salvation, but to have a transformation taking place. To have his peace and joy and the power to live for him. To have true fulfillment and satisfaction. It's not going to be found in Rome. Not going to be found in Greece or in the world. Only in Jesus Christ the gospel of Christ. So we are to proclaim the gospel. Second of all, there's power in the gospel. Then thirdly, the provision of the gospel, verse 17. For in it is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And as we've discussed, the gospel saves, brings forgiveness, and then it provides a right standing before God. We are declared righteous, and it is because of faith. Yes, there is the process of sanctification. We will see that Paul talking about sanctification in chapters 6 through 8, where God by his spirit is changing us from glory to greater glory into the image of Jesus. So stay tuned. It's actually one of the most incredible sections of scripture that we have in all of the Bible. But we are also going to learn of the doctrine of justification in chapters 3 through 5. We come to faith in Jesus and the gospel of Christ. We are positionally, we are then declared righteous before God. We are declared righteous by God and by the gospel. This term righteous or just or justification is used over 60 times in this epistle. When Paul was writing to the church of Philippi in chapter 3, he writes about all his accomplishments before he was converted on the road to Damascus. He writes about how he was religious. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees from the tribe of Benjamin concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. But I count these things as lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. I count all those things, all the religiousness, being a Pharisee, trying to be righteous in my own energies by my own righteousness trying to keep the law I count that all as dung now we live in an agricultural area we know what dung is don't we that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having my own righteousness which is from the law but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ the righteousness which is from God by faith the righteous standing that we have before God is from faith to faith, and we all know people that they think they're, they're going to be able to stand before God in their own goodness. I've been a good person. I've done these things that I'm going to be okay, bringing their own righteousness before God. And we are going to see in Isaiah that Isaiah declares that our righteousness are as filthy rags before the Lord. It won't work. It's only being positionally provided that righteousness imputed unto us because of faith in Jesus Christ. That is the only righteousness that we have that comes from God. Found in faith in Jesus and the gospel. So proclaiming the gospel, the power of the gospel, the provision of the gospel, and then finally, quickly, the gospel is personal. Again, I draw attention to verse 17. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. When we opened up this epistle, we read in verse 1, Paul was separated to the gospel of God. The gospel was personal to Paul. It was real. 
It wasn't faith in a church. It wasn't faith in religion. It wasn't faith in the law. It wasn't faith in rules and regulations. It wasn't faith in theology. It was faith in a person, the person of Jesus Christ. He saw Jesus. He met Jesus. He was so overwhelmed by the incredible grace that God would bestow upon him to save him. He was one that was in love with the Lord. It's the love of Christ that constrains me. It was faith in Jesus Christ. It was real to him. The just shall live by faith. You see, the gospel, we come by faith and we continue in faith. In other words, we believe the gospel. We are to live the gospel. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Continue to walk in the one who is real and alive and has saved you. Let me ask you a question and we're going to close. Do people see the reality of Jesus in your life? Is the gospel personal to you? Sometimes I don't think that we rejoice in our salvation as much as we should. I'll speak for myself. We get so entangled with life and caught up in life and the cares of life that we forget about that we are saved people. And I pray and hope for you and for me that the gospel is real to you more than ever before, even as we go through the book of Romans, that Jesus Christ came and died for you personally and he loves you and that you would continue to walk with him from faith to faith and the just shall live, what? By faith. Enjoy him, learn of him, keep walking with him and share that with others, the good news, what you have because it's the greatest news for any man or any woman. So thank you, Lord, that we're here and we went through these few verses here this morning on this snowy day. And, oh, Lord, the, the gospel of Christ is so powerful, so wonderful, so incredible. That's why we're here. That's why we can worship. That's why, Lord, we can celebrate. We're born again because of the work of Jesus on the cross as we put our faith in him knowing that he's alive. We don't believe in a, a dead Savior. We believe in a risen Savior. So, Lord, I do pray if anyone's here this morning, maybe you're listening on live stream this morning, and you've never come to the gospel. You've come to church. You've come to religion. You've come to maybe trust in your own goodness. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is this, that we are sinners in need of the Savior, Jesus Christ, who loved you so much that he went to the cross and he died for you specifically for your sins and he rose again he validated that he's the son of God and he is alive he's alive and he's given you the invitation to come put your faith and trust in me confess that you're a sinner repent quit going the direction you're going and turn to Jesus be born again by the Spirit of God. It's, oh, it's so wonderful. Not only salvation, but having a new heart and true peace and fulfillment and comfort. The world will not give that to you. The world is a big lie and a ripoff. Jesus is real. And he's asking you to come. You can come right where you are, right where you're sitting. And you can pray in your heart. That Jesus, I come to you right now, just as I am. I confess that I am a sinner. And I do believe that you died for my sins. And I thank you for your love proven for me. 
dying for my sins, and I believe you're alive, speaking to my heart, and I would ask that you would sit upon the throne of my life as my personal Lord and Savior. This is now my gospel. I thank you for hearing my prayer and for saving me for this good news and making me a, a new person, a new beginning right now. And I want to walk with you and know you and live for you. Thank you for bringing me here. And I thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. I thank you for, Lord, your goodness and faithfulness. In Jesus' name. And listen, if anybody prayed that prayer, I got a ministry team that's going to be up front here. In just a minute, we're going to close. I want you to come up and tell them the decision you made. And I pray that you would do that. Or if you're listening on live stream this morning, to give us a call at the church so we can encourage you and bless you. But Lord, I thank you for bringing us here this morning. And I pray for us that it's from faith to faith as the just shall live by faith, that our faith is lived out in our lives to be a light to others, that people would see the gospel in us, the reality of Jesus. The world desperately needs to see that because it's getting worse and darker and more evil. Even as Paul said, it would happen. And Lord, I pray that you would just bless our hearts and warm our hearts as we leave this place, not keeping this good news to ourselves. Why would we remain silent? So Lord, I thank you for this morning. Take everyone home safely. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand?